Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain how. First off, it is absolutely free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more providers. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's completely free. Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ballistic Podcast, live from San Jose, California. I'm here with my 6'5", six, six, uh, are, are you 6'5"? No, You're not, not even six, close. Okay. Not even close. Well, very tall Indian friend, Vikram. Vikram, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm actually only 6'3". I don't know where 6'5 came from, but that's okay. We're good. You're, you're way taller than I am. That's that's all I know. And uh, I just, I guess, I want to wish our, our listeners and you, Vikram, a happy holiday season. And uh, yeah, let's hope 2019 is better than 2018, right? Oh yeah. Every year is supposed to be better than the last. So really looking forward to that. Uh, thanks for setting this up, Guru. It's been a while since we did our last episode, so it's good to get back in the in the flow of things and do another episode. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been one and a half months since we did our previous podcast. We did one at the beginning of the season. Did we do it before the season started, or we did it a week into the season? I believe it was a week into the season. We did it a week into the Well, it's been a while since then, and a lot of stuff has happened. There's no way we could cover it all in one episode, so I guess this is going to be a general podcast, but uh, hey... Um, if you are a daily listener to our pod, to our podcast, I would suggest you subscribe to our podcast and, uh, subscribe through Apple podcasts and Google play. Uh, and, um, we're on there. You, you'll get alerts whenever we have an episode, however rare we post an episode. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you got anything to add to that Vikram? Yeah, we plan on releasing content uh, a little bit more frequently in the future here. And, uh, on top of that, if you listen to the show and you have any suggestions or comments, uh, please send them our way. Yeah, like leave a review, even even if it's terrible, we'll we'll take it into consideration. Yeah, we literally have nothing better to do than read your reviews. So please leave them. Let us know what you want. Uh, if you want us to talk about a particular subject, let us know, and we'll definitely get back to you. All right. So um, with that, let's jump into some NBA content. So as I said, a lot has gone on. Uh, what are your general um, takeaways from? this first one and a half month portion of the season. So 
the last couple of years, it's, it's been, you know, the Warriors versus everybody, and that was kind of the prevailing sentiment of, of this season. Uh, this season, there's been some really unique things in that the Western Conference in particular, and to a degree the East, but really mostly the West, the parity in the West is is frankly quite shocking to me. If you look through first through eight, and then not even counting, you know, the Jazz and the Grizzlies and the Spurs that are just out of the playoff picture, you're looking at, you know, four games back from Sacramento to the first place team in the conference with the Nuggets. And you're looking at that and you say, wow, weren't the Warriors supposed to be the number one team by and far uh, in the league? So that's been a really surprising trend to me. Uh, in the East, I would say that there's been some some really interesting developments in terms of I did not expect the Bucks to take the step forward that they have. Uh, I thought the Raptors were kind of hit or miss because I didn't know how Kawhi Leonard was going to be, although he looks uh, he looks fantastic. I'll add that. And the Pacers have been a, a wonderful surprise story in the East. Mm-hmm. So the only team that, that's surprising me there in terms of where their standing is right now is the Celtics, although they have improved in the past couple weeks. Yeah, I mean... I, I look at the East, right, and, and, and in the East, there's a defined upper class and a defined lower class in, in, in the sense that in, in the upper class of the East, you have some great games, you have some great teams who could be in the finals and give competition to whoever's in the Western Conference. We haven't seen that in past years. The West is more like the bourgeoisie, where you got this huge middle class of teams. Probably the Suns are only the only team you would say are in the lower class of the Western Conference. And as you say, the parody has been amazing, and uh, because of the, because of that, we're going to be having some really interesting playoff races as as we wind down the season. Yeah, frankly, it's just made the it's made games more interesting on a night to night basis. Uh, I think that's the most fascinating part of the season is there are, every night there's almost at least one competitive matchup that's worth watching. Not to say that any game isn't worth watching, but specifically, there's usually a marquee matchup of a good team versus another good team every night, and that just makes the season so much more enjoyable, so much faster. And just much, much more worthwhile to watch. Yeah, you were you were talking about Milwaukee and how you're surprised that they're in first place. I actually think they can be a little better than they are. Uh, I th- I thought they had spells during the season where they were actually sort of inconsistent, and that's just a testament to how good their roster is and how how great that their new system is under Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, so. They're a team to me where coaching really matters in the NBA, and a lot of people kind of undervalue that because, you know, it's a player's league and the players do play, and they're the ones that ultimately put the ball in the basket and defend. But system really matters, and some players are really good in a system. And I think the one thing the Bucks did really well is they identified a couple players that were going to help them and move them in a, in a direction that the coach wanted them to go and as far as the system is concerned. So adding Ursan Eliasova and Brooke Lopez were the perfect pieces to what he wanted to run. And so that's that's what you want from a system and a coach. You want the coach to identify this is the system we're going to play and this is the personnel we need to fit it. My job is to put our star player, Giannis Antetokounmpo, in the best position to be successful. And to do that, I have to surround him with a particular type of people that suit his style, my style, and the team style that we want to play. And, and you can see that because Giannis is averaging the most points in the paint since Shaq. And he's, he's like under 20% in three or something like that. Some crazy... He can't shoot, essentially. He just cannot shoot. His jump shot looks worse than it has been in the last couple of years. And he's still probably the leader for MVP in the league right now. So, yeah, uh, clearly that's worked. Uh, but one thing I just wanted to quickly highlight uh, as far as league is, and I know we didn't necessarily put this in the, uh, in the topic list here. Sure. But I thought Greg Popovich's comments about the, about the prevalence of the three-point shot in the NBA and how that's made it less entertaining was that was a very interesting comment. Sure, sure. Uh, 
I don't necessarily care much about the less interesting portion, but I do think fundamentally this year I've seen a lot of teams living and dying by the three in the sense that when teams hit their three-point shots, I mean, they're open threes, they look good, the system looks great, it's it's competitive, but when they miss those shots and the percentages kind of go against them, uh, certain games get real boring real quick to watch. So I, I would say I kind of understand where Greg Popovich was going with some of those comments, uh, but dang, when, when they make them, it looks so beautiful. Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to talk about those comments for a second because it sort of, sort of is... Uh, um, um, it sort of says what the state of our league, where where the league is at right now, and uh, you you look at these these teams who have turned to analytics for better success in basketball. Let's just say, for example, Chicago. I, I feel that Chicago shoots the three way more often than they should, and I think that's what Greg Popovich is alluding to. They just they come down the floor, and if they see a three point shot they like, they take it, even if it's not the best shot they could go, they could have gotten that possession. At the same time, shooting threes is the most efficient way to to get ahead in in the NBA and uh, and to score points more than two point shots. So I mean, just based on raw percentages, if you do have good three point shooters, you are at an you are at an advantage. But it doesn't mean you should be shooting them all the time. Exclusively, yeah. yeah. I mean, particularly with the new rules changes, uh, if you're a team that has motion and movement and cutting and off ball screens. Those are the types of things that are being rewarded right now uh, as far as fouls are concerned, as far as, as far as those holding fouls are concerned. So I think parts of parts of the offensive explosion at the beginning of the season were teams trying to figure out uh, exactly how to deal with the new defensive rules. I think that was pretty significant for a number of teams. Uh, the Jazz probably most notably, uh, given their more physical type of defense. But they've looked better in, in, the, recent, uh, in the recent couple weeks as far as it looks like they've turned the corner. Uh, it looks like Rudy Gobert is... Uh, still the force that he is on the defensive end and showing a little bit of offensive game more so than I had expected this year. So they're nice. I think that their you know current 18 and 19 record is is going to change rather rapidly in the next few weeks. Yeah, and they're no stranger to the the playoff race mm-hmm. that takes place in the second half of the, the season, right? They, they were out of the playoffs last year as well around this time and Donovan Mitchell caught fire and before you could turn around, there were the four seeds. So we, we see the Western Conference is in, in a st- similar state of matter this time around where you can skip uh, up a couple of spots pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, they're only and, two games out of the playoff race and they're only six games out of first place. So when you look at it that way, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable what the West looks like. Okay, but to you, who's the most consistent team been so far this year? I think I know your answer, but if you, if you really, I don't, I don't know, uh, based on how you think. So, uh, in both conferences or just one or one or the other, I, I, you can take either a conference or, um, in the NBA. So I've actually really liked how the nuggets have looked this entire season, mm. not just because they're top of the West. Uh, but I really do think that they've done something really interesting in that their progress has been almost all on the defensive end and, putting Jokic in positions not to be abused by uh, by the opposing offense. So I think what Mike Malone has done as far as uh, instituting a defensive system and really putting in some defensive fundamental principles uh, has changed where they are in terms of their standings. Because their offense was always super high-powered. Jokic is a, is a extremely fun player to watch, and you know they're not even completely healthy. They've been uh, a little bit of the, the walking wounded with all their players out, but they've They've managed to get through that. They've got a nice uh, backup point guard, Monty Morris. 
there are a lot of really good things that they do. And night to night, I think they do a fantastic job of getting into their sets, uh, playing through a lot of their adversity, and just making a lot of shots. And so overall, they've been extremely consistent to what I've seen this year. And they've had a lot of injuries this year as well. Yes. And they've somehow overcome them. And their defense is very, very improved. I think that's the key to their turnaround oh, yeah. this year from a non-playoff team to a top four seed. That they're, I mean, It looks like they're going to be that way. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, definitely. Uh, but I, I can't wait to see them when they have all their bodies back, especially, um, especially Gary Harris, Will Barton. And uh, Paul Millsap. Oh yeah, definitely. I think and Isaiah Thomas. We'll see how he slots into the to the roster, but we'll see. I'm not sure with Monty Morris playing as well as he is. I'm not sure what role Isaiah Thomas has coming back for the Nuggets. So we'll see. I think that they're going to be a fascinating team to watch, uh, especially some of their playoff matchups. I can't wait. The West is just going to be a slog fest for the first two rounds of the playoffs. I think that's going to be the most. I think the first round of the playoffs is going to be the most entertaining round. Uh, first, the first most entertaining first round we've seen in in the recent past. I, I think, think I think a lot of good there matchups. are the potential for a lot of upsets. Yeah, upsets and, and just yeah. good and just good matchups with good basketball. Sure, sure. Uh, for example, you know we just saw the Blazers and Warriors beat each other at at home. You know both road wins, right? The Blazers beat the Warriors at Oracle, and uh, the Warriors won tonight against the Blazers. So I think that's those are the types of things that make the season interesting. Of course, uh, I but. You actually surprised me with your answer. I thought I thought you were going to say the Raptors because, I uh, me personally, I thought the Raptors were, have been the most consistent team this year. Uh, and if you, I mean, if you look at the the big acquisition, of course, we, they got Kawhi Leonard. But I think Danny Green. I think he's the more. I think he's a more consistency impact, from a consistency yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah. He's a, I think he's a more impactful player in terms of plus minus defense to offense, uh, g- getting them into their sets. He's 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 been the key to that trade really, and the key to their big huge improvement that they've made. And uh, I mean, there's no doubt like Pascal Siakam, his improvement has been paramount. And he, I mean, he's obviously entered the starting lineup, and he, I mean, his ability to play the power 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 forward allows Serge Ibaka to slide over to the center where he's more comfortable. He's now he now drifts into space, and he's able he's able to take. Uh, other centers off the dribble so I think that's really the key to Toronto's offense and I mean they were deep last year and they're really really deep this year as well Fred Van Vliet I think I mean his story from an undrafted point guard to playing a really pivotal bench role is I mean story for the ages and he, I mean you add that to uh, Darrell Wright and Jonas Valanciunas also taking the bench role you can see a very deep team and a very dangerous team come playoff time. So Serge Ibaka, to me, his resurgence this year, he's having what might be the best year of his career. He was on the down downfall when he was actually being traded from OKC. They yeah. were talking about him like he, his best years are probably behind him. Oh, no. What happened? Well, okay. Well, anyways, back to... <laughs> back to basketball. Back to basketball. Yeah, I, I think the idea that he had, uh, he was having a downswing was totally true. His He looked slow. He looked... He looked like he was he was going to be relegated out of the league in a couple of years, to be honest. But mm-hmm. his it's interesting because the the NBA has swung towards his skill set, right? Defensive bigs that can stretch the floor. So in a way, I I expected him to be much better than he had been in the past couple of years. So it's nice to see him uh, come back, and I think that's a really significant thing for the for the Raptors that they have a very consistent starting lineup as well as players that can come off uh, that can come off the bench and really change the game in a way if if the starters aren't. Uh, performing to expectations or just to change the flow of the game. I really enjoy watching the Raptors bench in particular uh, take over games because they're able to outwork and just outplay other teams. 
And a lot of credit has to go to, to Nick Nurse, their Nick coach. Nurse. I think that's, you know, another example of how does good coaching change teams? And so, you know, when you look at the Raptors and the Bucks, you can really see the influence of how, of what, what coaching does for teams. And that's not to say, that's not to say Dwayne Casey was a bad coach because he's doing okay in, uh, in Detroit. But my point being, coaching really matters in this league. And a lot of the stuff that makes, you know, the difference between a team that's third or fourth seed and one or two seed is not only the talent, but also things on the margin like team staff, coaching, and those types of things. So to these teams that are at the top of the conference, it's important for them to have those types of advantages. And and coming into this year, we didn't really hear about Nick Nurse and who he was. I didn't even know who he was. But every single press conference that I've heard Nick Nurse talk, it's been it's been great. Oh yeah, he, he he just has a different knowledge for the game. If you look at his background, he's he's coached a lot of developmental basketball in in Great Britain and in the in the G. Well, it was a D League back then, but in the G League, mm-hmm. and I mean you can see it. He's really much in, very much into player development and putting his players in the best spots to succeed. Yeah, I mean he knows the game. The coaching ranks of the NBA are incredibly deep, and there are a lot of very talented individuals there. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a real shout out to all those guys who work every day to put these players in positions to succeed and give us the best possible product we can see on the floor. So, I mean, that's that's a plus. The other thing that has fascinated me is the appearance of two-way contracts and signing players who aren't necessarily drafted. I think that, to me, is, is a really interesting trend. And I'll, I'll use the Warriors as an example, right? Uh, because... Right now, the way the league is situated is, hey, I'm going to load up as, on many stars as possible, and then I somehow have to fill out my roster with people that make sense. And people are and teams are going increasingly out of their way to find players in Europe, the G or the the D League, the G League, uh, undrafted. They're looking at players who can who can fill roles on teams. So for me, the Warriors with uh, every year they somehow find talent like Quinn Cook, and this year it's Alonzo McKinney, and just just players from the bargain bin. Or the scrap heap that you wouldn't expect to find a lot of uh, a lot of gems, and those guys have played great dividends. And you can see this across the league with players like Monte Morris for uh, for the Nuggets. Mentioned him a couple times, and you know you talked about Fred Van Vliet being a success story for the Raptors. There are a lot of these types of players around the league right now that are having really positive impacts for teams. And uh, at Oregon, uh, one of Jordan Bell's teammates, I believe his name is Chris Boucher, he. Has, uh, he spent uh, uh, his last two-way contract with the Warriors, and now he's with the Raptors, and he's been putting up stats in the G League for the Raptors. So, uh, uh, And I've, I've really liked his game, but he, what happened was that during the NCAA tournament, I think he tore his ACL, oh, yeah. and that knocked him off the draft board. But, he, I, mean, he, I mean, he looks like one of those developmental pieces that come in and find a rotation spot. I don't know if he's going to find it with the Raptors, but... Uh, find it somewhere and uh, he makes it in the league it's, it's a great story because oh, yeah. these g league contracts allow p- people who wouldn't otherwise get the opportunity to make the league to make the league yeah and it allows for a sort of a minor league system to brew uh, as far as the nba and the g league relationship is concerned yeah and i mean it's the best way to put the best possible product on the floor and at the end of the day you need an you need an area to somehow fill the rest of your rotation with nba players and players who can make an impact uh, maybe not always in the playoffs because rotations get shortened, but you really need to be 10 to 12 D for the regular season. And it's hard. Otherwise you can't have your stars playing 40 minutes a night. And that's just the reality of it. And so a lot of these players allow, uh, allow these teams to put, to take their stars out for a certain period of time. And I mean, you know, the biggest thing for me now is how do good teams fill around their stars with, with role players, 
that are that not only complement their skill set but are also able to take some load off the stars. So again, going back to the Warriors, like Jonas Cherepko has been a revelation this year. Nobody really expected him to be, you know, as good as he's been, but he's played a very important role, both from a three-point shooting perspective to being a role in the offense and also hustling on defense. So you kind of look at that and you have to say, well, there are players out there that can make a difference and it's up to these teams to find them. The Bucks again with Ursana Lusova and Brooke Lopez, players who fit a role and a need and also fit the system. So teams are, are struggling for those types of players in their systems. Right, and we, we talk about puzzle pieces, right? Not all puzzle pieces fit fit in different puzzles. Mm-hmm. And we talked about Jonas Jurepko. He was cut from the jazz. He was literally say, we're going to let you go, even though he wasn't making that much money. And, I mean, I, I, he found a role with the Warriors, who's, who are the best team in the NBA. So, I mean, it's all about what kind of piece you are and what kind of role you can fill right. with your next team. So let's let's we've talked about the cream of the crop. Let's go and talk about some surprises. Who which teams have surprised you so far this year? So I guess since the Pacers would be, you know, they were they were expected to be good. I'll talk about the Sacramento Kings, who I expected to be, you know, at the bottom of the league in the doldrums, and uh, they've certainly been a surprise this year. Uh, I still watching them play have no idea how they're this good. Yeah, how they're how they're this good and you know their roster is not drastically different than last year. It's not like Marvin Bagley is coming and you know is putting uh, putting the NBA on notice or putting or setting the world on fire. He's he's actually been injured quite a bit this year. He has and know. even when he is playing, you know, he's he's playing like 20 minutes a night. Yeah. A little little over that. And that's that's fine. That's what you should be doing as a rookie is getting your feet wet, learning the game. Playing 20 minutes in the NBA is not an easy feat and you know as a rookie it's that's a lot of time. Uh, but that aside, what shocked me about uh, about Sacramento is the emergence of De'Aaron Fox as a legitimate point guard, and not just a legitimate starting point guard, but he looks like a borderline all star right now. Yeah, he when he when he came out of Kentucky, I, I thought that he was a great team leader, and what like what conjured that thought for me was during the NCAA tournament. Uh, that year, we it was De'Aaron Fox's first year and last year on the team, and they I think they lost in the Elite Eight or something. And De'Aaron Fox was crying, and normally you don't see one-and-done players be all that emotional about their college college team, but you can see how much De'Aaron Fox cared about winning. And I, once I saw that, I was I was just like, this guy, once he figures it out in the NBA, he's going to be a great leader yeah, of I was... men and a great winner in the league. And you can see that. He's, he's, figured, he's figured out the league to some extent, obviously. I mean, There's always more you can do, of there's course. Always yeah. more, there's always more you can do. But, um, I mean, the fast-paced offense uh, that Dave Yeager has installed has really given De'Aaron Fox, like, the reins to control the offense. And he's done a great job yeah, so far. Uh, not only that, I think uh, De'Aaron Fox, first of all, just as a personal improvement, has done phenomenally. Uh, his jump shot looks better than it had, has last year. I was very concerned about his lack of size, generally. Uh, but he's managed to translate his amazing speed and kind of get over that type of hump. So I'm, yeah, that's I'm, what the the pace. Yeah, the, the pace, pace has really helped him. The yeah. big thing for them is I think Willie Cauley Stein has also had a fantastic year, and it really benefits De'Aaron Fox to have a rim running big next sure. to him. And so a lot of these things, the system is has been good, and uh, we have to also give a shout out to Bogdanovich for for being just phenomenal as a small forward option against. Um, other high powered, uh, other high powered small he, forwards. So he is the ultimate six man for playoff teams. Like the king, like 
non-playoff teams are sort of searching for that guy the kings already got him in Bogdanovich. yeah and we like and buddy healed has really really improved as well yeah that team is just up and coming although buddy healed gained it did you read the funny article where he gained a year he gained a year in, in like because other team for some whatever reason people just had his age wrong but hey you know he's he's a fantastic player it's been fun to watch him uh it looks like the sacramento kings won the demarcus cousins trade uh interestingly enough it's it's hard maybe. in hindsight. Maybe maybe they did. I mean, if you compare it with the Pelicans, right? The Pelicans lost Cousins yep. and the Kings. I guess. I mean, who did they gain with those picks? Justin Jackson, uh, and then Buddy Hield. Yeah, well, Buddy Hield looks I, like uh, the return. I guess is they win good. by default. Is what yeah, I mean, they win by default. They do win by default, but yeah. you know, we we all were like, wow, they they got and and this they trade. actually made solid free agent signings this this season. Um, what, what's his what's his name? Nemanja Bjelica is wrecking people yes. because they just needed a stretch four. Uh, what happens when you don't have a stretch four? You clog up the lane. And what is De'Aaron Fox really good at getting in the lane? So from a just from a basketball perspective, and it makes you kind of have to. Yeah. You really have to have a you know a four out offense to to give De'Aaron Fox the most the most potential as far as using his gifts and his talents to actually score. He he was about to go. Back overseas, and Vladi Divac stopped him from going. And yeah, well, he kind of stole him from Philly, as, as, I, too, as I recall. That too. Uh, the um, one, the one signing that I wasn't, I'm not a huge fan of was uh, was Yogi Ferrell because he's not playing very much, and mm-hmm. I think he's noticeably better than Frank Mason. So I, uh, I'm not really sure what's going on with that particular acquisition. But hey, whatever you know, it's it's. It's so nice to be able to say positive things about the Kings. Sure. Because uh, they've been so bad for so long. And, and it'd, be, uh, it'd be great for the city of Sacramento. It'd be great for California, for all four California teams to make the playoffs. I, I think it's been a very, very long time since that has happened. Has that? I don't even know. Has it ever happened? I, I'm, I'm not sure. We'll have to look looked, that one up. We'll, yeah. we'll definitely look that one up. But I, I don't know if that's ever actually happened. I don't think. But will the Kings make the playoffs? Probably not. Yeah, there's too much competition. There's there, way there. too much competition. You're saying that they're gonna have to beat out the Spurs, the Grizzlies, and the Jazz to get that last spot, really. Yeah. I uh, I don't it, see that happening. Yeah, it it doesn't look promising. But hey, it's but hey, it's why not? You know, I, I'd they, love for that to occur. And uh, they don't have their draft pick this year, so they don't have. Yeah, there's there's no teams. yeah there's no incentive for them to lose. There's no incentive. For them, they just go out there and play. Actually, there's an incentive for them be. to win to make that draft pick as poor as possible. Okay. <laughs> Well, the Celtics have something to say about that. Anyways, uh, any other teams you want to give a shout out to? As... Uh, so I've actually really liked what the Brooklyn Nets have done this year too. Mm. Uh, I know they're a little bit out of the playoff chase right now. They're not very. I mean, they're pretty out of it actually. Now that I think about it. I mean, I mean, they're there, but they're not. I mean, I mean the the basically the bottom three after fifth place in the Eastern Conference. Everybody's five hundred team or lower. So. I think the Heat are, are exactly 500 right now, if I recall correctly. If if Brooklyn still had Karis LeVert. Oh, man, that, I, that injury, I'm just glad he's not out for longer, given what that injury looked like. Mm-hmm. And by the way, listeners, if you haven't seen that injury, don't go watch the video. It's not a pleasant watch. Uh, but I would say, given the given what we thought the severity of the injury was going to be, it's it's great that he's that he is more, I mean, that he's going to be back relatively quickly. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of the team has really been impressive to me. I really like the contract extension to Spencer Dinwiddie, mm. uh, who's just balling out this year. I have no idea what what's going to happen to D'Angelo Russell, to be honest. Uh, I imagine if Spencer Dinwiddie's been signed long-term, I'm not sure why you would keep D'Angelo Russell around. 
So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens with that. But overall, I've really liked the steps forward that Jared Allen has taken. I think I think Dinwiddie's contract's like eleven million a year. Right? Oh yeah, it's it's great money is for it? for what he's gonna give you. Yeah, for for sure. So I mean, if I mean, you could argue that eleven million a year is uh, what you pay a, a really good bench guy, right? Yeah, or you know that's that's a low end uh, that's a low end starter high high usage bench. So unit. I could still see him signing D'Lo. Yeah, but for what? For, for, and, and that's the question for what I, I, for for depth for the, <laughs> the fact that he's looked really good with the nets i mean he's looked okay with the nets but i mean uh i i honestly have not been super impressed with watching him uh much this year and the main thing for me is like his his lack of ability on the defensive end is pretty noticeable and the big thing for me is he never really gets to the line and he's not really able to get into the lane to take advantage of some of his his passing ability that's true. That's true. so that's like true. there are a lot of weaknesses in his game that he doesn't necessarily have the other attributes to take advantage of it in the sense that he's not a he's not like a sniper from the three-point line. And so like given the fact that his his greatest talents don't really offset, you know, his weaknesses, I think they made a better long-term move with Spencer Dinwiddie who's got a bigger body, a little bit more in terms of being able to get in the paint and draw the defense to him and kick. So like those types of things that are that are pretty valuable for the Nets right now. But the other player that I've really enjoyed watching on the Nets team is Jared Allen. Jared, of course, and just watching him reject people left and right. I've I've enjoyed his defensive intensity. And then, you know, he's got great dunks. He's got great inside presence. Uh, if he could get a little bit more offensively skilled, I think that would uh, that would move his career forward even further. But he's been he's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I think I think you might see him take a Karis Levert like jump next year. I hope so because he does have a three point shot. He does have a, have a sort of an offensive game. He just doesn't show it very often. Right, and they don't. But I think he'll show that in the future. Yeah, and I, you know it would be a lot of fun to watch uh, to watch a resurgent Nets. I think when the New York teams are good, it's good for the league. Absolutely. So I, I think. Well, to be honest, I think the more good teams there are. The better the end product is for the for the fans. So. Uh, absolutely, and it means we get to see a good team on Christmas. We don't have to see a sucky. Yeah, Knicks team. Knicks team. Well, the Knicks. If, would be if, okay if with. we're going to show the Knicks, show a good version of the Knicks. Right. Well, without Kristaps, I don't know what the Knicks are. You know, it's it's hard to. Well, I, I will say so. The Knicks are another example of a team that are pulling out players that are that are that are NBA legit NBA talents, but weren't projected as such with like Alonzo Trier and Damian Dodson, like. You you have these types of players who who are making a real impact on NBA teams that weren't projected to do so, and they're taking chances on first round picks who failed with their team with the teams that drafted them, like Emmanuel Mudiay. Yeah, well, Mario Hazonia hasn't worked out all that well, so you know you win yeah. some, you lose some. Yeah, that right. that is one of the more uh, confusing contracts in the league, to me, uh, was giving Mario Hazonia that that the full mid level and then the second year as well. So that was strange. I guess like this year is sort of a lost year for the Knicks. You could say. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I guess their cap space isn't that valuable next year either. But even still, that was a, that was a strange, uh, strange signing. But next year, I guess. I mean, David Fisdale. He's he's a decent coach. I mm-hmm. mean, he's, he's I think he's a players' coach. And I think he was wrongly terminated by the Grizzlies back when he was terminated. Yep. And uh, he's getting a chance with the Knicks, so we, let's, let's see what he does with it. He's yeah. been changing up the rotations a lot. I think that's just a product of having a bad team. Just oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I will say the funniest part about it is uh, I honestly thought J.B. Bakerstaff was not going to do all that well this year. And, you know, surprise, surprise, the Grizzlies look pretty good. I mean, he's returned the Grizzlies back to the grid and grind mentality well let's be honest any team that gets two all-stars back is probably going to be better sure so i mean you know an injured gasol or like a not involved gasol and a uh, an injured conley and having those two like actually come back and play 
that's pretty noticeable. And we're going to be talking about rookies later. So we, so we, we won't talk about talk... Jaron Jackson right now. We'll talk about him later in the in the series. In, in, the, in the episode, right. So uh, speaking of Jaron Jackson, he is a big man. And uh, speaking of big men, there have been there has been a resurgence of the big man this year, and I know that you specifically, Varun, sorry, Bikram, are psyched about that. Uh, t- tell us why you're psyched about that. Well, first, probably because I, I only ever learned how to play in the post when I first started playing basketball, so I enjoyed watching that, and I grew up watching Shaq just dominate teams. So uh, with that, you know, the, the role of the big man over the past few years has, has really shifted to being more, okay, you're going to defend, you're going to rebound, and you're going to run to the rim. Uh, this year in particular, there's been a lot of low post scoring, and the biggest thing is we hear a lot of times like we can scheme, you can scheme big men out of the out of the game in the playoffs. You can do all this stuff, and then watching the Warriors over the past few games has, has revealed something to me. If you're seven footer and you've got a guy who's shorter than you, who's like you know six eight, six nine, and you have any semblance of uh, of weight in an inside game, you can score pretty easily. Uh, my case in point to this is like Avica Zubats, who is ostensibly he's a third string center for the Lakers and he absolutely wrecked the Warriors because they had nobody else that was big enough to really defend him having big bodies matters having a center that can do stuff like rebound and take space away like it really does matter you need to have bodies down there and not only that the role of the big man now is is shifting to be not only a stretch but you have to be able to score you have to be able to defend and you have to be able to take up space and that's not always possible with one player so there's there is a, a resurgence of big men in this league when you look at offensively players like DeAndre Ayton, uh, Yusuf Nurkic that are playing in the low post. Uh, Joel Embiid obviously is is a man amongst boys most times when he plays in the post. But you you started to see teams actually play more in the post nowadays, and I've really liked that. And also as a vehicle to generate three point shots through double teams. So I think that's a really interesting way to to get good inside looks, and also to spread the defense out with other shooters around that player. So kind of think what Dwight Howard did uh, with the Magic back in the day. Yeah, but I, I don't think that Dwight Howard would do very well in today's NBA just because the big men, as you said, they're more skilled than uh, than the post player of yesteryear. Like I'm talking about like the Shaq, the Dwight Howard. Well, I would say Shaq and Dwight Howard just overpower whoever's on them. And actually, I think right now they would destroy big men. Because there's not, can you imagine trying to switch onto Dwight like an older, like a, a young Dwight Howard? He's gonna back you down and dunk on you every possession. So I, I think, I think that's the type of thing where the pendulum is always gonna swing because it depends on the. Talent I actually sort of disagree with that because I, I didn't, I, I never thought Dwight had a really good post game. Uh, it doesn't I take. He, a, I thought he had a very good pick and roll game. Yeah, I yeah, he, I agree with you. I'm just saying when you're when you're as big as Dwight Howard is. You can you don't have to have a sure. tremendous post game to go dunk on a dude. But that takes some skill, and guys like Yusuf Nurkic have developed that oh, yeah. skill. Oh, most definitely, I agree the, with the you completely. The skill to stretch to the three point line every once in a while, the skill to work off the pick and roll, so have a, have a, have an option to pass as well, dribble handoffs. These oh, are oh yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with you. Big men have developed over the past couple of years, and it's showing out showing out right now. Oh yeah, I, I agree, but I would say just as a simple because defense is switched now. If you get a point guard on Shaq, absolutely, you know what I mean, like, or you you even got a point guard on Dwight Howard, like I I don't think that that's a winning defensive strategy in in most cases. But teams have been going away from that now. Teams are are seeking out that mismatch because that's an, a good way to defeat a mismatch. Sure. So this is the ultimate reason why Julius Randle is so powerful in my mind. Mm-hmm. Not only is he 
I mean, he's not the most skilled player in the world, but he is he is a bruiser and he's able to exploit those mismatches on the pick and roll. So if you say, hey, the reason we're setting a pick here is, is twofold. One, if we can get the switch, we have a mismatch. And we also have an ability, like we have, we can score out of the pick and roll, we can get a switch. And if our pick and roll action doesn't work to get our point guard or whoever's setting the, uh, whoever's going off the pick open, uh, get an open shot or an easy shot, then we now have a mismatch with our big on, you know, a guard. Right. And if you're and if your big is able to post up like Julius Randle is and take advantage of that, then you have, you know, that's a secondary way to score points. So I mean those are there are a variety of ways where big men can be successful, both the, being the roller and on the mismatch. The way Julius Randle has transformed his game has been insane. He used to be a primarily a back to basket scorer yep. when he was at Kentucky. And people worried about his ability to translate when he came to the NBA. And he has completely changed his game from where he was in college. Really, really proud of him. And uh, he's a good pick with the Pelicans. The Pelicans are not doing very well right now, mostly because Miritich has been hurt. Yeah. Yeah, and they they like floor spacing in the worst way. And again, Julius Randle is not a floor spacer he's in any not. way, shape, or form. And Anthony Davis, as good as he is, is not like a, is not like a sniper from the three-point line. He really he's, isn't. He's like a... An okay three-point shooter, I think, is, is probably the best way to put it. It's a secondary part of his game that could show itself. Maybe a tertiary part of his game. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, but I, I, I see where you're going with that. I would say big men today are much, much more skilled than they were in the past. And I would also say that there are a lot of offensive sets that require big men to do different things, like you were talking about with the handoffs, uh, with being in the high post or the low post. And making those types of different reads and plays, and a lot of a lot of freedom is given to these big men to do some cool things. Right. So I I've enjoyed that. I've really enjoyed watching some some more back to the basket play because there's been more this year than there than has been in the past. I mean, when you when you do show uh, that highly skilled game, that that is when you can go back and say, oh, I can put my back to the basket now and and dominate you. I can, I have this other facet of my game that used to I mean that used to dominate the league back in the day. But now I've added these other skills that complement my yep. back-to-the-basket game. And again, like you talked about earlier, it's all about floor spacing at the end of the day. And it's difficult It's difficult to have too many players that can't shoot. Because when you do, you gum up the inside. And it makes it really difficult for, for a big man to be successful if he has to deal with you know, another body that's there because no, someone else on the perimeter can't shoot. And so things like that. And I think the Philadelphia 76ers are the biggest example of this because you have... Uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons really can't do anything, you know, outside of 10 feet. Yeah. And because of that, he gums up the works as far as he's always going to be in the dunker spot. And that makes it hard for Joel Embiid as a role man. That makes it hard for Joel Embiid as a post-up player. That makes it hard for anybody else that's trying to go to the inside. Joel Embiid is forced to pop out right. more and often than not, more often than you would like. And let's be honest, Joel Embiid shouldn't have to pop out because he can get to the basket every single time if sure. he wants to. And he should be. And I, I think that's one thing that the 76ers are going to have to figure out is what do you do with Ben Simmons if he's not going to make steps forward in terms of his offensive game at all? And I, I think that's going to be a really interesting struggle that they're going to have. I, I think he, I think he's seen it this year. I mean, last year was sort of a glamour ride for Ben Simmons. Like, look at, the, look at this big man. He can dribble. Mm -hmm. He can find guys... And he has eyes in the back of his head. Great. He has skills that no other big man has, but he can't shoot. But that, I mean, last year was more of a positive, but 
that's the only thing he can't do. Look at what he can do. Now defenses have sort of schemed and figured out how to defend the 76ers. Oh yeah, I mean look and, at what the look at what people are doing with the Warriors, right? Yeah. Let's leave everybody who's a not like let's let's completely come off Kevon Looney. Let's completely Maybe. allow Draymond Green to be open. And I would say Draymond Green is a way better shooter than Ben Simmons. As sure, sad sure. as that is to say. Sure. I mean Draymond Green at least he takes the shots. At least he can at least it's like one of them. He had a three tonight. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Of course of course he did. And yeah. then we were the internet was was cheering when Ben Simmons made a, you know, uh twenty and yeah, twenty two footer and uh you know end of shot clock heave something like that mm. I, I mean, mean i do think he can actually hit that shot or do you think it's a confidence issue with him like he just does not want to take the shot i think he needs to figure out which hand he wants to shoot with I, I think he has says. to figure out like he just is, needs to mechanically figure out a shot and then put in repetition and work to it he, he looks like a lefty but i mean I don't, I don't even know what hand he shot that that shot with. I mean, I mean, just I mean, look at him in the free throw line. He shoots with his left, so I guess I guess he's a maybe lefty. he's a left handed shooter. So I don't a, I don't so particularly the, care like what so, hand he I shoots mean, with. It's but. a start. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just this is this is one of those things that I've I've always been really confused about is how are NBA players like bad free throw shooters? Because I feel like above all other skills, shooting and ball handling are two skills that you can practice and you can like. Anybody can practice shooting and anybody can practice ball handling. Not everybody's going to be able to dunk. Not everybody is going to be able to double clutch a layup. Not everybody is going to be able to do certain things that require a certain Not everybody's going to be having like, like top of the class court vision. Yeah, I, I mean, those yeah. are things that are innate and inbuilt into people. But as far as shooting and ball handling, those are two skills that are a matter of practice and repetition. Mm-hmm. And at the, the coaching that people have in the NBA, I don't know what the reasoning is where, where people aren't good free throw shooters I, or I think, at least passable I, I think, shooters I, I think it's the aau culture where people want to be in a, on a highlight reel more than they want to improve their game but i mean you get a highlight reel by making by getting buckets and being able to dribble which i'm unfortunately not a great ball handler so maybe i should take my own advice uh, but as far as shooting is concerned i was able to get in the gym and really increase my percentages over time that's just a function of me you know taking a few hours every week and doing that when it's your job to do that, I understand Ben Simmons is probably working on other skills that are that are integral to his game, uh, but at the same time, I wonder if it's a it's a matter of work ethic or if it's a matter of just not putting in the time to that specific skill. But I believe last summer he was like, "I'll work on a jump shot later," and uh, I'm pretty sure the time is now because looking at where the Sixers are, if they want to take a step forward, they're really going to need Ben Simmons to actually develop some semblance of a jump shot. And I understand that, you know, or or he has to play a role like Giannis on another team. Hmm. Like, those are the two options for him. Because in the current setting of it, I don't think you can have players that all need the ball in their hands and all aren't very good three-point shooters with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is, is a good shooter, but he's not a great shooter. Hmm. And he's also somebody who needs the ball in his hands a lot. And like, given that construct, I'm not sure how Ben Simmons is going to contribute to. And, and this is what worries about me worries me about the 76ers when they get to the playoffs and when they actually play a good team, a solid team. How how are they going to um, how are they going to win games? It's very. I mean, I think I'm asking a very simple question. I don't because think they're going to is the is the reality. I think they're. I don't think they're drastically different than the team last year. They got beaten by the Celtics, and I think if and when they play the Celtics again, they're going to lose again. I mean, having Jimmy Butler as a clutch player only helps you when you're in close games. I mean, yeah, you have to play 48 minutes of competent basketball. I mean, forget the fact that their their bench is pretty awful. Yeah, uh, they don't have. I don't believe they have. Well, to be fair, they improved their bench 
during the waiver wire deadline. Right, but you know, and, and, but and, and that could happen again. I but. doubt it though, because like Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Eliasova played so much better than what an expected outcome would have been for them. Sure, I, I, uh, like for example, look but at they Marco were put Bellinelli in a role right where they they could succeed. Where the, I mean, the floor is pretty oh, yeah, much spaced out for them. Absolutely, let's, they let's had be a free honest. rent to take threes. Exactly like we were saying earlier. They fit exactly what the 76ers needed, and they were good plug-and-play pieces for what the 76ers needed. They needed floor spacing in the worst possible way. Sure. And they need that exact same thing this year. Yeah, because those two players left. Yeah. And what do you got after that? They, well, yeah. You got exactly. Lambert Shamit, who's a rookie. And, he, and he's I, playing well. He's, I he's give him a well, lot of yeah. props for coming in and making an impact when nobody really expected him to. Yeah, yeah. So I loved what he's been doing this year as far as, uh, as, far as a rookie is concerned. And he looks like a mini J.J. Reddick out there. And I, I think that's who the, we should study. I actually wanted the Warriors to get him in the draft. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I was looking at Landry Shamit, but he was taking the pick before. Mm. So I was like, damn. But anyways, I mean, uh, yeah, the Sixers definitely need more floor spacing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, the next topic on our list is uh, a rookie report. The rookie report. A.K.A. Okay. the Luka Doncic show. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, let's let's talk about some oh, rookies. Let me Let me just put this out there. Yeah. Yo, this dude's been playing basketball, like professional basketball, since he was like 14 years old. He's of course he's going to be damn good in the NBA. For those of you who thought, oh yeah, this guy, you know, he's just playing in the EuroLeague. Uh, he's not going to be that good. He's not going to be able to do that in the NBA. Okay, come on guys. He's been playing in the second best league in the world, and he's been performing in that league. It's not like he wasn't playing. So let's get that thought out of your head, because that's that's absolute BS. And, he has uh, been amazing. I would add, like to add another point to that. Most of the picks that come out of Europe are potential picks, meaning that they played in the Euro League, but they weren't really as good uh, as I mean as their draft position suggested they were. Right. And they were projected to be better players in the NBA. That's why you see a lot of players out of Europe fail because they're projected to be a certain way in the NBA, but they have not reached that projection. Mario Hizoni is a good example of this. Um, what, what's his name? Um, on the Nets? On the, on, on the Suns. Who's actually playing really Dragon well. Dragon Bender. Yeah, Dragon, Dragon Bender. Bender is a good example of this. Andrea Borgnani is a good example of this. These were players who were projected to play well in the NBA. They weren't playing well in the EuroLeague, and then they got to the NBA and failed. Or uh, you also have players Luka like... Luka Doncic was the MVP of the EuroLeague. <laughs> He's pretty dang good. He played in the EuroLeague championship. He won a championship in the EuroLeague with his team. He was dominating at a very young age. So I don't want to hear like all this like oh weak players coming out of Europe. They were projected to be great players in the NBA and they did not pan out. And there there are some Luka guys, Doncic uh, was not a projection. He's a reality. Oh yeah, and he always was. Uh just to to give some so uh, the guy on the Nets, I, I can't remember his first name, but Kuroks, I believe it is. We're dying Kuroks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to say his name. That's that's bad. But my uh, my point being he's balling for the Nets right now. Just to say, but that's exactly, he was playing for Barcelona and he wasn't getting time there. And so that's the an example of that that potential pick. You don't see a lot of time for him, but he's on, you know, one of the best teams in, in the EuroLeague. And then so it's worked out in this case. But like you're saying, there are a lot of examples where that doesn't work out. Mm. And then, you know, European players falsely get a reputation of, you know, they have this, that, or the other thing. But you really have to look at these players and say, wow. There is another. There are other leagues in in the world that are pretty good at playing basketball. Basketball is a global sport. I mean, the Sevilla league in Spain is the second best league in the world oh, to yeah? the NBA, and that's the league that Luka Doncic was playing in, that where Kristaps Porzingis was playing in, mm -hmm. and okay. dominating, by the way, in the yeah. case of Doncic. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as far as his NBA performances, I've been really impressed with the fluidity of his game and his ability to get open shots. 
despite not being the most athletic person in the world. And despite being the only good player on the on the court for the Mavs at times. Yeah, uh, especially offensively in particular. Yeah. Uh, the Mavs have been another team that uh, they have outperformed my meager expectations for them this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've really liked what they look like uh, overall. But Doncic has been just so much fun to watch. He just gives the team a little bit of a flair. Uh, and just, he's such fun to watch when he does like these weird step back threes that are legitimately not travels. Uh, he's he's not a rookie. Of, yeah, he he's, doesn't, he's he doesn't play like a rookie. He's not. I mean, that's because he's not really a rookie. Yeah, like he might be an NBA rookie, but he's played professional basketball for longer than some of these players have played basketball. You know, with uh, with some of the the players coming out of Africa who haven't played for that long. Like Pascal Siakam, who, like you were saying, is an amazing success story because I think he's only been playing ball for like six years or something like that. Something some some like crazy, that. crazy low number. And you think about Luka Doncic played like professional basketball for that long, and so you talk about somebody who's just like a veteran of basketball. Luka Doncic is exactly that, and I don't know how teams just thought he was going to be bad, but it's certainly looking like uh, the Kings might have wanted to take him and uh, the Kings and uh, and the I, Hawks. I don't, uh, I don't and know the Hawks about maybe. That one. Hawks maybe did not want to trade him. I, I guess. Well, the the jury's out on Trey Young. He's looked better in the in the past couple of weeks, past month or so. He's he's really looked. He's better. impressed me with his vision, but his shot is something that is not at an NBA level just yet. I mean, I don't know that if his shot's not at an NBA level, but his ability to make them in games hmm. specifically, and there there is a little bit of a difference in that. Uh, because a lot of times he's like jacking threes, like they're not even they're not even like in a system or flow of the offense. It, it feels like he's just kind of throwing them up there. It, it, he reminds me of Steve Nash in a way, in, in in the sense that Steve Nash also came into the league with his vision and his shots slowly came along for the ride. Maybe Trey Young is that sort of a player. I I, I hope so. Well, for the, the problem, sake of the Hawks, the problem is Steve Nash is like four inches taller, uh, played in a different age where point guard play was was very different and the role of a point guard was different. Sure, but. I still think Steve Nash would have thrived in today's NBA. I think it would have been great, but being the difference between six four and being six foot is pretty sizable. Per, per, uh, yeah, you're, especially you are defensively, right especially with with Trey Young's frame, mm-hmm. uh, like he gets abused defensively. He's one of the, I think he's like got the worst defensive RPM in the league or something oh, like oh, that. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well. And I I expected that because he is he's an undersized point guard that's not all that athletically talented. And that's not a knock on him. That's just who he is. And he's got an amazing other set of skills in terms of passing. And he can hit shots. It's not like he's he's awful at it. His percentages look bad. But that's kind of what we expected is for him to struggle as a rookie point guard. When you, when you play in an offense that like encourages you to jack up shots, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, You're uh, a young guy. There's not really much else on the uh, on the Hawks, let's be honest. Uh, tonight, they actually won against the Cavs in a, uh, in a marquee matchup of the worst teams in the league. Oh, marquee. Yeah, and uh, actually, he had 21 tonight, but so did Vince Carter. Which, shout out to Vince Carter for, for being in his 40s and still playing legit when these rookies NBA basketball. Born. Yeah, when these rookies weren't even born. And most importantly, playing actually impactful basketball against you know real talent and actually being able to do things and score and rebound and be effective at age 40. Uh, I feel like I'm falling apart, and uh, he's, he's amazing. Okay, but is Doncic going to be an all-star this year? No. No? You don't think so? No. Not no even shot. an outside chance? No. Why? What if the Mavs are... Okay, I don't think the Mavs are going to be in a playoff position. Okay, so that sort of takes away... Yeah, I mean, that, that's the, the problem, right? I, I don't think that the team's doing that well. Mm. And while he's fun to watch, you know, 
if Ben Simmons didn't make it last year, I don't think he's going to make it this year. I think Doncic this year is better than Ben Simmons last year. I think so too. I agree. I just uh, I think the with this the way where the Sixers were in terms of the playoff hunt. Uh, yeah, uh, I, and, I, I, and where the East is in terms of All Star and bursts. where the Mavs are now, you ha- you make a good point. There. Yeah, I just don't know. Okay. I mean, but which rookie has the brightest future? I, I mean, I'm telling you this right now. I really like Jaron Jackson Jr. Oh, he looks fantastic. I think I think he's the next KG. I think he's the next KG. With a three-point shot. With a three-point shot. Uh, I don't know that he quite has the defensive instincts that KG showed even earlier than Jaron Jackson because he came right out of high school. Mm. But K, I think that's that's saying... That, to even be in the conversation like that is is really a testament to what Jaron Jackson has been doing. Uh, but I do think KG brought a little bit more on the on the defensive end as far as... Uh, as far as where they were as rookies, especially with KG being younger, coming straight out of uh, straight out of high school, mm-hmm. uh, and just watching KG then was some of his instincts were were a little better than what Jaron Jackson has. Which is not to say Jaron Jackson is not a good defender; he absolutely is. He absolutely but is. But he's learning. He's he's learning the NBA game, and I I'd like to see him in like a year, year and a half. And, and this is the perfect spot for him to learn it because he's got Marcus all. He has Mike Conley. He has these veterans around him. Yeah, he's and players a... like Jermichael Green, who are like actually good NBA defenders. That entire team is full of players who can actually... Kyle Anderson. Defend. Yeah, like players who have been in systems that have encouraged them to become good at defense. And I think that's a that's a good asset for him to have from a, from a system perspective and also from an individual perspective for his development defensively. So who do you think, which rookie has the brightest future in your mind? Uh, I really do think Doncic is going to be around for a long, long time. Okay. But and, and, excluding and I, him, though, is I probably agree. I agree 100% that Doncic is the perennial all-star MVP candidate. Yeah. He, he could be the best rookie. But probably who do you think has though. the brightest future? Do you, I mean, is some of you saying that Don, this is Doncic's peak? It doesn't get any better than this for him. But I know he's only 19. But a part of you has to be asking that question. He had 37 points at 7 over... Of seven of ten three point shooting last night. I mean, does it get any better? Let me ask you a question. Sure. Does it matter if it doesn't get any better? Probably not. That's. I, I guess my question is, if you had this player for the next like twelve to fifteen years, is anybody really complaining? I don't think so. And so, like for me, that's that's the thing. Like even if he doesn't improve, which he will improve, like just off the top, he's going to improve physically because the NBA has a much higher degree of physicality and forces him to be in different types of conditioning to play the NBA game. So just like off the top, his greatest weakness, quote unquote weakness, is his his lack of physical talent relative to the rest of the NBA. And so he will overcome some of that gap through NBA conditioning and training. So I mean, and the other thing is, he's only like 19. The difference between somebody at 19 and somebody like 24 from like a physical strength perspective is pretty, is pretty significant. So... I think he's only going to get bigger and stronger and better from here from a physical perspective. And if he can maintain the level of skill and even improve upon it, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be amazing. And it depends. I really want to see what the the Mavs do in terms of, do you start to play him at something like point guard? And then he can, he can really abuse smaller players in the post, which he's been doing already, Mm -hmm. but maybe that's the direction or, or if maybe it's the system that makes him better. So I don't know why people think like he's reached his peak. He's 19 years old. Did you? Did anybody reach their peak at 19? I don't think so. So Probably I think not. the idea yeah. that he's only like he's not going to get any better is kind of ludicrous. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you you do make a good point. Uh, what was I going to say? 
I was going to say he's Slovenian. Who uh, who else is Slovenian? Goran Dragic. I'm looking at the Olympic team, obviously. Yeah, I, I don't know really that many people from Slovenia. Anyways. Uh, okay. I mean, back to the rookie report. Back to the rookie report. Uh, other than that, I've really liked a few of the rookies, to be honest. Uh, I've really liked, like, Alonzo Trier, for example, for the Knicks. He's been, I don't know about bright futures, but... He's somebody who just fills it up, right? And there's there is always a role in this league for people who can score off the bench for or an undrafted guy. Yeah, he's for really an undrafted good. guy. Alonzo McKinney has been a revelation for me. I think he's gonna have a really bright career. Is Alfonso McKinney a rookie technically? He was on Toronto's last roster last year. Oh, was he? Maybe he not. Was, well, he was. That's I guess that's my mistake. I guess he doesn't count as rookie then. Mm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, let's see who else. Wendell Carter on Chicago has been pretty impressive to me. Really? Yeah. I haven't I, seen much of him. I've enjoyed watching him play uh, when he has been when he has been given time. He's really produced in, in a way that I think has been more than I expected from him. But he's been pretty good, too. I've uh, I've enjoyed him. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's been so up and down. He really has. Like, one night he'll have, like, three points like he did against the Warriors. <laughs> and other nights he's, you know... 14, 15, 16 points. And, and that's true. That will, I think that that's a, a basic uh, like a symptom of a rookie. But the way he plays the game, and uh, I'm really impressed by the way he plays the game. He's he, he plays with a controlled pace, tempo. He knows how to play the pick and roll mm-hmm. more, more, more so than most other rookies when they come into the league. Um, he can shoot a little. But uh, like obviously you're impressed by his ball handling. His defense and his passing. Yeah, I think uh, he'll benefit from, again, from NBA strength and conditioning, uh, particularly getting some meat on those bones because he's real skinny. So I think that's something he'll improve upon. He fits in that starting lineup pretty well. Oh, yeah, I've liked his game. And I think, you know, we didn't really get a chance to talk about the Clippers, but they're truly a team of me, of, of veterans, of just guys who at every position, are good and solid and dependable NBA players. And, and last year, they had a lot of injuries. They so did. You, so and you so, never really got to see them. But but now you, you get to see, like, Tobias Harris is a borderline all-star. And, again, sure. I think he's he's an all-star over Luka Doncic. So, like, that's the type of thing where I'm saying it's unlikely that Luka gets to be the all-star. Their, their forward combinations, great Gallinari and, yep. uh, and Harris. Uh this guy, Montrez Harrell. Dude, Montrez Harrell is so much fun to watch. And for those of you who don't watch Clippers basketball... Montrez Harrell is, you know, like a 6'9 center, and he is beasting people. Uh, he's one of the few. He, I love watching him post up. Uh, I love watching him just dunk on people. He is his everything energy. You, yeah, he's, he's everything you want out of a big man, except he's not the greatest rim protector because he's not as big. But he is so much fun to watch. I love that. Uh, I love having Marcin Gortat and uh, and Montrez Harrell. I think that's fantastic, especially with Boban to back them both up in, sure. in the worst case. <laughs> More run for Boban would be great. I feel like he would actually... He's pretty productive when he get out, when he gets out there. But that that aside, uh, going back to the rookies, uh, it would be... We would be remiss if we didn't actually mention the number one pick with DeAndre Ayton. Sure. Uh, I've really liked what he does on the offensive end. He's mm-hmm. shown me more than I expected. He faced some adversity this year. He was he was struggling for, for a little bit for a week or so. And uh, he faced some adversity, especially when he was like compared to Doncic. I saw it on Twitter, and I mean, it it wasn't good for for him personally. Yeah, he, he had a he had some games where hustle was an issue, but he's come back. Yeah, the last couple several games, he's put up good numbers. He he looks like he has a future. He does. I'm really just concerned about him from a defensive point of view, and it's not even you know for somebody at his height with his level of physicality, 
He's got a, I think he's got the worst block rate in the NBA for starting centers, if I recall. Hmm. And more than that, he just so defense and instincts can be can be somewhat coached. You can get somebody to be good, but I don't ever think you can get somebody to be great because they have to have that. And I don't really see that from him in terms of his instincts and and being and knowing where to be at a given time. A lot of times he misses coverages or is late for rotations, and to a degree you could teach that, uh, but he doesn't necessarily have that that fundamental instinct. And so I, I worry a little bit about him from that perspective. And I don't know what his ceiling is as a center if he can really only play, you know, one side of the ball. Uh, you know, something like Ennis Cantor, for example, who's phenomenal as a as an offensive player and is a better offensive rebounder than you know. I don't know that DeAndre Ayton is that kind but of offensive. But it's terrible rebounder, on defense. But is god awful at defense, and yeah. I, I wonder if that's where DeAndre Ayton is, and, and if that's what happens, then you know, maybe the Suns should have taken. Uh, Luka Doncic instead. Yeah, so I think uh, that's uh, that's that. With one other rookie that I wanted to briefly talk about was uh, Josh Okoye for the for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay, sure. I think he's gonna have a really really good NBA career. He looks like one of those solid guys. He does, and uh, another one in the same vein is Hamadou Diallo. For uh, I think he's really athletic. Oh, he, he's he has, so much fun. He has the potential to be something special. It's it's. I back. actually wanted the Warriors to take him in the late first round. They Hamidou. it would have been a better yeah. better. I, I was looking for at for the Warriors. I was looking at Landry Shamit. I was looking at Hamidou Diallo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I didn't really know about Jacob Evans until he got taken. Yeah, uh, and he's he's not played. I mean, he's an opportunity where he could have gotten playing time. He made a layup tonight. <laughs> for him <laughs> in garbage and, time and, and just going through really quickly uh, Mo Bamba he's sort of behind Nikola Vucevic he looks like an all-star this year he's, if Nikola Vucevic is not an all-star this year I would be shocked and he's a free agent too so yeah. maybe your Lakers are looking at uh, Nikola Vucevic why not might yeah. as well yeah I mean he's a good fit for, for, for Lakers and he's sort of that resurgence of the big men we didn't talk about Vucevic yeah we really should have talked about Nikola Vucevic but he's one of those guys yeah uh and the Colin Sexton he's starting for the Calves he's, he's playing a, okay he's been up and down yeah, definitely you know, he's, he's just a scorer obviously and he doesn't really understand the nuances in the NBA just yet, yet but, but he's getting there he's getting there Kevin Knox is starting for the Knicks and he had and a really a good game uh he had a really good game against the Bucks a couple on Christmas, on Christmas. uh his yeah. the big thing for him is like he started to hit those floaters and he looks good taking them so it's been good. I've I've enjoyed that. Right. And, and then uh, just going down the list here, Michael Bridges has is, star, is starting for the Suns. Uh, there have been lineups where Michael Bridges and uh, what's his and Booker play well together. Yep. And the other Bridges who we Denver. should have talked, we didn't really talk about Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges is a is, high flyer. Is so much fun to watch for the yeah. Hornets. They need He's to give high... him more run, especially with where they are in the standings right sure. now. And, like instead of Marvin Williams, you get more Miles Bridges. That'd be better. oh yeah. Or both of them for uh, on the same floor, for that matter. And uh, is there any other rookie worth talking about? I don't know. Probably not. Okay. Yeah. No. So, and uh... so the, that's the end of the rookie report for this episode. Uh, so uh, what else do we want to talk about? We want to talk about injuries for a little bit. Yeah, just to you know to to ice the the podcast. One of the big things with the NBA is injuries are just a part of the league, right? And. You know, we were a little, I was a little nervous watching uh, LeBron James get hurt, mostly because he'd never had that type of injury before. Uh, but luckily, it's just a groin strain, and he's going to be out for a few games. Uh, yeah, that, it's pretty significant for the Lakers, It was amazing that though. he felt a pop, and he's only out day to day. Well, it's LeBron James. He's like a cyborg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but real point. talk. Yeah, but real but when talk. When I saw the injury, I was like, is this the first major injury of LeBron James' career? Yeah, I, I thankfully thought, it wasn't. Thankfully it wasn't, but... 
Yeah, I mean that would have uh, that would have spelled some end of some Lakers dreams. But with that on LeBron, the the major reason that I think it's significant is right now they're in the thick of the playoff hunt because everybody's in the thick of the playoff hunt in the in the West. So if they lose a couple games without him, uh, that could be. They, I mean, they could be out of the playoffs. They could be out of the playoffs. Yeah. Sure. And, but but uh, like it's a good thing that it happened. During the midseason, right? You'd rather have this now than at the end of the season. The end of, of the season, where you got to win games, or else. Right, right, right. No, that's it. totally true, but that's something to watch, definitely. Right, and, uh, and CP3, those hamstring issues keep keep they keep coming back. Yeah, but apparently this time it doesn't matter because James Harden is on an absolute tear. He is with three consecutive forty-point games, but I, I mean, I imagine he can't keep that up for forever. But, but then you go back to CP3 and his contract. Yeah, and, and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this was part of the concern about the Rockets um, when they were going through their bad spell. Uh-huh. But but James Harden, as you said, he's turning. He's being around. transcendent, right? Look, but it's it's yeah. him that's being transcendent. And sure. and to be honest, uh, Eric Gordon is playing better too. Sure. And so that really does help. But like we said, can you beat the can you beat the top Western Conference teams without CP3 and just relying on James Harden? Probably not. I think that's uh, that's a hard ask. Mm-hmm. That really is, and. Uh, the last injury that we should talk about, and one of the teams that we should have talked about, and surprising teams for the wrong reason, is the the Washington Wizards, who have, uh, uh, who are currently well outside the playoff hunt. And given the amount of talent they have on their team, that's pretty disappointing. I mean, way too much drama going on with that. Way, team. way too much, and even uh, for their standards. And the question of this podcast should be: uh, Are they going to be better without John Wall? Probably. And I think they are. I, I look. Uh... I mean, Bradley Beal last year when John Wall was out would say, would say everybody eats, mm-hmm. we move the ball, it's, it's a great offensive game, and they were playing better, believe it or not. Yeah. Led by Bradley Beal, they were playing a little bit better. And let's be John. honest, Tomas Sadoransky is actually really good. Yeah, he, he's, he's actually he's, pretty he's good. He's a really competent NBA point guard. I wish he got more time. So uh, I, I think that's This is not the worst news for, 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 the, for, the, for, Wizards. for the Wizards ever. Yeah, I mean, it. I think it... I mean, it makes it harder for them to make trades or make deals, but it, it makes it harder for them. I mean, I still don't think they make the playoffs, but they. I think they make it interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. And uh, unless they trade Bradley Beal, I mean, all bets are off then. But uh, I mean, uh, maybe this is the impetus for them blowing it up. So I could totally see. I could see them being like, okay, you know what? Screw it. We're about to. We're but about is to blow Wall's deal. contract even tradable? No, he's. It's, it's not. not. So. What are you going to blow up? Uh, I mean, you're going to trade Bentley Beal for a package of assets as much as you can and say, you know what, we're just going to ride out John Wall's contract because we're screwed otherwise. Because the Supermax kicks in next year anyhow. Yeah, it's not even kicked in yet. It's amazing. Well, this is why you have to choose who to give Supermax contracts to. Just because a guy is really, really good or is, is good, that doesn't mean you give him a Supermax. And, well, yeah, uh, I mean, that's the I mean difference between like, um, um, between like overpaying a guy and losing a guy, I would I would say the Wizards would have been better to lose him. Better to lose him, yeah. yeah especially seeing him this year, he came into came into camp out of shape. And it just depends on the skill set of the guy, right? Like skill set and character matter. And I yeah. think another example of this is Andrew Wiggins again, who might be the worst contract in the league. Sure, yeah, he he probably probably is, is. and. And so, like, parts of it are are just you have to know the player that you're giving the contract to. And there are there are good risks to have. There are good times to reward players. All those types. Would of things. Would you give Bradley Beal a supermax contract? Oh heck yeah, hmm. I would because he has a skill set that's more valuable than what John Wall provides. Probably. I, I think that's the biggest thing, right? But like, like, well, what's your definition of most valuable? I guess. 
Like, I mean, most valuable from an NBA You have uh, to be able to shoot. Playmaking perspective. You really, really, really have to be able to shoot or have a way to have consistent offense all the time. That's not to say John Wall is is not uh, a good offensive player, but that's to say his skill set doesn't age very well, doesn't age well into his contract. He's not the best from a personality or doesn't like to party like that. He's kind of, from like a character perspective, he's not the, the most fantastic player either. Sure, I agree with that. And so... You know, those are those are all things where I'm like, hey, is this guy the guy I want to give a supermax contract to? Sure. And is he a transcendent talent like Anthony Davis, who I'm gonna give every single dollar I can possibly in this world to? No. Okay. So okay, for the last topic of this podcast, I know we got something else, but Anthony Davis. Obviously, I don't want to go into the tampering stuff. Right. Obviously, if LeBron is asked by the media, if do you want Anthony Davis to play with you, of course he's going to say yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I'd if love Anthony to play. Davis is going to, going to be asked, do you want to play with LeBron? Of course he's going to say, hell yeah. Would uh, I mean, if I asked him, do you want to play with Steph Curry? He'd probably be like, yeah, I'd love to play with Steph Curry. If, we, if you ask Anthony Davis the same question, you'd probably get a similar response. Yeah. But... Is this a re- I mean, if Anthony Davis does not accept the Supermax contract, okay. he's not accepting the Supermax contract. From, from and and that's what that's what Sam Amick is reporting, reporting that, yeah. that he's not going to do it. Do you trade him then? I think you have to. I think you you have no other choices, New Orleans. And this is I mean, this is the same Kawhi Leonard situation. You're gonna get a you're gonna try and trade a guy, and you're gonna get a good deal, a pretty good return for you. Hope so. Well, here's the thing. If Anthony Davis is like, I'm not going to sign with any other team that's not the Lakers, he can affect... I mean, he has all the leverage in this situation. And, and, right? and this is where Clutch... I mean, the Clutch Sports Agency comes into play. Well, I mean, LeBron. even before that, right? Like, it's interesting that the Spurs made the trade to the Raptors. And we're like, Kawhi Leonard's never going to stay there. But, you know, the Raptors' success is going to change his mind. But, like, where... I mean, the only other place I think you could trade... Celtics. Yeah, is The Celtics, is the Celtics. have the combination of... Possible team success and the assets to keep New Orleans happy. I think that's yeah, the most I think I, I ideal think solution. With where I, I just don't think the Lakers have the assets to get Anthony Davis. I think they do have the assets. Not more than the Celtics. Uh, I don't know that the Celtics Not, can really afford Anthony I, Davis. Okay, afford him in terms of salary. I'm talking about if they want to sign Anthony Davis to the Supermax, and they've already got Gordon Hayward, and they're going to have to re-sign Kyrie, and then they're going to have to deal with you know up-and-coming stuff. That's a really hard ask. I don't even know that the the Celtics are going to be able to make a workable. If you're, if you're going to the NBA Finals every year and competing for a championship, I think you got to go over the cap. You're going to go over the cap, but how much over the cap? Because that's a really expensive team. That's, and so, like, is. let's let's look at the package that you're providing. Like, okay. you're, I mean, they're not going to trade Jason Tatum, I imagine. Or they, are, they do actually, they, they, do they trade might. Jason Tatum? They, they might. Maybe they trade that, Jason Tatum. Like that that central, might be the centerpiece of the, of the, the trade, right? The, the package plus draft picks. You yeah, plus draft picks. And then they're going to have to send back matching salary. And that, that's going to be interesting. Because hmm. that'll that'll ostensibly have to be like uh, Morris. Morris. Uh, that's like a that's a pretty big depth piece for them, right? Maybe. But you're talking about Anthony, Anthony Davis, Davis Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. And actually, Marcus Smart's contract is probably in, in play here for this, too. Maybe. And so... You start to say, okay, they can provide a package, but if Anthony Davis is like, I don't really want to play in Boston, you're going to take that risk? Well, what did Paul George say before he went to OKC? Sure, but he's the exception, not the rule. I, I guess, and uh, I mean, he's, he's the exception, not the rule, but it shows that the exception can happen. 
Sure, but what and did what the Celtics, did the, like, Celtic, the Thunder Anthony, give up? Let me let me finish. Let me finish. If Anthony Davis puts the Celtics over the top, meaning in the finals and into the championship, doesn't that give Anthony Davis more incentive to stay? If they, you're win. the king of the Eastern Conference. Sure, sure. I, I agree with you. I'm just saying. Right. The Thunder relatively gave up nothing to get Paul George. Well, in hindsight, yeah. I mean, they really didn't, right? Yeah. They gave up Oladipo, who wasn't going to succeed in their system because Russell Westbrook and he have con- have conflicting styles. Sure. And they gave up somebody who wasn't going to perform in DeMontis Simonis because they already have a big that? man. That I know he wasn't going to perform in sure. OKC. Because he's he's really a good center. And he's playing behind Steven Adams and not getting any time. And they tried to play him at the four. Yeah, okay, I, I, I guess... I guess so from, from an point. OKC system perspective, those two players were not useful. Mm. And they were able to turn him into Paul George. Right. Now, the fact that those two have been phenomenal for the Pacers aside, hmm. and I think this is one of the few trades where both teams won, that's not going to be the situation with the Celtics. They're going to be giving they're going to be giving out assets that are really, really valuable, and it's not even like a Buddy Heald for DeMarcus Cousins situation where you're like, okay, I'm not really that worried about Buddy Heald, but you're talking about you're talking about Jason Tatum, uh, you're talking about depth pieces, and then you're talking about p- future picks, and they have lots of those assets, and that's fine, but. If Anthony Davis leaves after that, you've mortgaged your future for nothing, and that's a, that's a big really? risk. If that's a big risk, if he leaves, it, it I, I I believe it is a big risk, and we're gonna we're gonna see what happens with Kawhi, and mm-hmm. we're gonna be able to judge all that. But I do think having a player in your system for one year helps you make the helps you helps that helps him makes it make, make the decision and i would make the same argument for the raptors right like what exactly did they lose they lost to mark rosen that's significant yeah, but... yeah looking back at that trade more and more of the trade they won that trade yeah but the biggest thing with that was they also got off of his contract too yeah and so they, i mean and they got danny green and they got danny green i mean but i'm just saying like overall mm. you think about it you're like they had even if the trade doesn't work out and Kawhi leonard leaves they're not in a terrible, terrible position. They're not. Yeah, they're not. and, and you, so you make a good point there. My question is like the Celtics have a and lot. I, of... I would argue that if Anthony Davis were to leave, the Celtics are not in a terrible, terrible position because they still have Gordon Hayward. They still have Jalen Brown. They they have one of Jalen Brown or Jason, or Jason Tatum. Tatum. Right. Uh, they're not in a horrible position, but I, I would say... They probably still have Al Horford. Okay, Al Horford is probably getting up he's there gonna in have age. To, I mean, eventually he's going to be aged out. And maybe he's a part of the trade because of that. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, who knows? That's possible. But yeah. I would say the biggest issue for the Celtics on that is just going to be, now you got to fill out your roster. And is, is a chance at Anthony Davis worth destroying a roster that you have right now that's pretty damn competitive, that's got a lot of pieces, that's... But are you that competitive? That's yeah, the next question. I, I would say they're pretty damn competitive. Like Eastern Conference Finals competitive. After seeing what you've seen so far, are they really that competitive? Yeah. Can, can they? They can. Okay. Okay. What? What, what was the question I was going to ask? Uh, are they like, going to make? Okay. The finals? There's Toronto. Milwaukee's the big wild card here. Yeah. If they show up to play in the playoffs. They will be a force to reckon with. Absolutely. And then probably after that, you got the Celtics. And then uh, you, you do not forget about the Pacers or they, the or the Sixers really, or, who are um, still going to be challenged. Somebody. Yeah. And so I understand what you're saying. Like, and I, I generally agree with you. The risk is usually worth taking. Um, but if I'm the Celtics and I don't know that he's going to sign, I think you're you're in trouble. And uh, that will be the last topic of this episode. So, yeah, because uh, we're like super long, but that's good. Yeah, and, but I mean, the Anthony Davis thing was pretty recent, so. Right, that, that whole tampering yeah. thing is pretty significant too. Yeah, the, the anti-tampering letter that the NBA released. It doesn't really matter. I mean. 
this is gonna I, happen. I did not on... see LeBron getting fined for doing something no. like that. I, I, I think it's just ridiculous in a day and age of social media to say, yeah, I can't say I want to play with this player or making overt officers to like, hey, like players what are, are, what are you gonna do? What are you going to do, like, manage dude sending a text message to some other yeah. guy saying, hey, come play with me? Players are photoshopped in other teams' jerseys all the time. What are you okay. going to do? Yeah. So uh, with that, that's that's the end of our episode. So uh, I guess one of our 2019 resolutions is to do this more often. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to try to do more episodes as, as more recently and about more recent content. And I think that's the biggest thing is to try and uh, avoid having so much content to cover that we go way long and we're not able to talk about you know all the teams and all the interesting topics so absolutely so again subscribe to us on uh apple Podcasts and google play and uh we'll talk to you guys soon have a good night happy holidays